0: Last week, I spoke about the second noble truth of of Buddhism, which is craving or thirst. And um, this thirst that we all have is either for to have more or to have less, this constant uh, uh, shifting that we find ourselves in. And um, I've been working with my own practice in this way Uh, noticing in this transition time of coming down here from Rochester to the North Carolina Zen Center watching how my mind wanted to get to the you know the next phase of things right Um, getting um, to Sashin moving in beginning to make contact with everybody um, settling in unpacking boxes and how I would um, hesitate in the, in, while I was still in Rochester in um, pull back, found myself pulling back in the difficulty of leaving friends and colleagues and clients and the place. And so my mind went to let's rush forward into something and then let's pull back away from this difficulty of letting go. And I found myself chomping at the bit, you know. um, That is a phrase, right? Chomping at the bit? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, And I wanted to get the transition over with. That's where my mind kept going. And it was... It was kind of a restlessness and a future thinking and I noticed it was what in therapy we call a distancing mechanism it was my distancing mechanism it was a way to distance myself emotionally from the realities of what it takes to move and what it takes to say goodbye that kind of presence and sadness and the Um, happiness even. And so um, that we all have to go through when we go through periods of time like this. Um, And um, I had a great impatience to get it over with. Uh, My mind was going back and forth between this aversion and clinging. It It was interesting to watch. This oscillation process, it felt a little bit like Trying to stand up in a rowboat, you know, and I found like one foot bracing against the left side and teetering that way, and then trying to bring it back by bracing the other foot in the and i and I was curious about what it was that was keeping me balanced, what it was that was keeping me from going too far in either direction, and for one thing, it was the awareness of of what was happening, the awareness of this process. But then I kind of landed on one quality, um, which is patience. Patience. And so I thought we could explore that a little bit more uh, today. Patience in Buddhism is, in the original Sanskrit, it's called Kshanti. Kshanti. And it's one of six perfections or paramitas in Buddhism. And paramita is an interesting word. Um, Para uh, means um, beyond the outer bank or shore. And mita means to arrive. And so uh, you hear this in this Tart Sutra gatte gatte para gate para sam gate so when it's saying para sam gate it's beyond way beyond so going beyond going to the outer shore and what is this outer shore this outer shore is this awakened mind and so <clears throat> the paramitas mean these qualities that we have to cultivate in order to reach the other shore, in order to get to this awakened state. And in Mahayana Buddhism, which Zen is a part of, it means helping others get there as well. We help, we ferry other people across the river, across to the other shore. We don't go without others. We, in fact, we wait until the end. We're last. We're always last. We always open the door for somebody else. So, uh, so, Mm -hmm. Kashanti or patience is one of these qualities that we cultivate in practice. The other five are dana, which is generosity, sila, which is virtue, virya, which is energy, dhyana, which is concentration, and prajna, which is wisdom or insight. So these six work together to lay the foundation for um, awakening. And you could argue that this patience is a quality that would uh, ideally underlie all of our efforts and action. Uh, The lack of patience is often what leads to our mistakes, If you look carefully um, at your own life, you'll see that in our relationships or in our jobs or in our tasks, often what is missing, what leads to these missteps is our impatience with others, with ourselves, with our work. And it's not that mistakes are bad, of course, Uh, mistakes actually are very helpful, but Um, often our efforts, our energy, outpace our abilities, our patience, and then we end up tripping over ourselves. And so um, patience becomes sort of the counterbalance for effort in practice. There's always this balance between how much effort do I make in my meditation practice or in my life? And how much do I just let things be? Um, this, this balance is really interesting. There's a, a story I heard up from uh, Bhikshu Bodhi who talked about patients and he said, even a long time ago in India, they, uh, physicians were trained as surgeons, even, I mean, way before modern surgery and one of the ways they began to teach surgeons how to cut was they would take a jar or a a bowl and fill it with water and then they would take a lotus leaf and put it on top and the student would have to take a scalpel a knife and be able to cut the lotus leaf without pushing it under water So they had to find that perfect balance between uh, the endurance and patience it took to cut and the effort it took to slice through. And it reminded me when I heard this that Lawson Roshi, one of my primary teachers, used to say something like he heard a story of a modern surgeon who was learning heart surgery and he got to have he was in the surgery room he was being instructed about this very crucial part of a surgery and the head surgeon said okay so you have to cut this artery and then you have 30 seconds to reattach it you know however it needs to be and So he said, you have 30 seconds. So hurry up and take your time. Hurry up and take your time. Central to Buddhist practice is becoming more and more clear in our understanding. And as we mature in meditation practice, we become less reactive, um, less caught by our impatience and our kind of habitual reactions our conditioning and our opinions and really you could say that this is at the source of patience is being able to see things clearly without the veils of conditioning that come in front of us in our thinking seeing others clearly seeing ourselves clearly and seeing the world clearly and so um a lot of us get caught when we misperceive and we act out of our conditioning and our habits and so as a result of our efforts in meditation practice we when we sit through when we learn to sit through the physical discomfort when we learn to sit through the mental discomfort um, we are able to handle more and more Patiently. Um, and this is why we, we, it's important to have that solid foundation of Zazen practice to be able to concentrate and stay with the practice through those constantly shifting mind states that kind of afflict us. <clears throat> you can see, um, but oh, here's the, here's the, here's the thing about establishing a practice, though. Um, we we want to be careful about trying to establish perfect conditions in our sitting practice right so when you're sitting at home not to think that you have to have the perfect spot and perfect you know environment and everything uh in order to have a good sitting um One time during a uh, after a sitting, a new person was there, and I asked them how it went, and they said they admitted that it was really difficult to concentrate, and they had a really hard time. And so I asked a little bit more about that. I probed a little more, and they said, "Well, at home, it's much easier because they sit in a closet with earplugs in." And I thought, oh no, (laughs) no, 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 no. We don't wanna do that. If you're doing that, even not to that extreme, um, I really warn you to expose yourself to more challenging circumstances. Um, Nassim Taleb, who's a very famous economist and philosopher who wrote a book called The Black Swan, um, if you're, I may give a talk on his stuff. It's it's pretty wild. Um, he once said, um, when talking about being fragile, he said, and, and and what he calls anti-fragile, which is more than being more than being um, uh, firm. When you're anti-fragile, you can take a shock and not crumble like a castle. But he said some things benefit from shock. They thrive and grow when exposed to volatility, randomness, disorder, and stressors, and love, adventure, risk, and uncertainty. I believe um, that we need that exposure. You know, we grow from adversity. And so our patience only grows when we're exposed to difficult situations so cultivating patience in another translation for Kshanti is forbearance forbearance which I wasn't really clear on the definition when I when I looked it up I looked it up last night Um, and forbearance really um, it means not acting not doing anything and so um, it means not acting on our impulses. And I think this is one area where people struggle, especially with anger. And I, at some point I really hope to get into how feelings and emotions work in practice. It's a very misunderstood, I would say probably there's so much disinformation out there even among Buddhist teachers about how to work with uh, difficult emotions. You know, this idea that we have to get rid of our anger is complete bullshit. It's, it's not true. Um, but the ninth precept, as we word it in our tradition, is is not to indulge in anger, but to practice forbearance. Not to indulge in anger, but to practice forbearance. And so, it doesn't say that we shouldn't get angry but rather that the spirit is that we don't indulge in any extra thoughts about the anger you know that kind of turning of those waves and the story behind it that gets us going and that we don't act on our anger we don't take it out into the world we don't we don't you know act on those aggressive impulses that are inside all of us Or those passive-aggressive impulses. That we can become angry, we can become furious, but that we don't act on it. We can have that internal experience in here, inside, this rage, this anger, but we don't need to put it out into the world. That's forbearance. That's patience. And so um, we can do this with all kinds of mind states in our practice that come up in our life, too, of... Noticing them and feeling them, but not acting on them. And so the definition of forbearance is refraining from enforcing a right. Enforcing a right that we have. We certainly have the right to pursue all kinds of thoughts in our practice. If you're sitting there, you have the right to do whatever you want. Right? You can do whatever the hell you want. I don't know what you're doing. There's no cops in in the Dharma. But forbearance means that we do have the right, we reserve the right to do anything we want, but that we, we, we just, we don't act, we, we stay put. <clears throat> so, it's easy um, to mistake our defensive ways of being for patience. It's not uncommon for people to take up a spiritual practice like sitting because they want to avoid difficult issues in their life. Um, I'll say that. I'm going to say that probably every other talk. This is so true with people that uh, these secret kind of, um, as Barry Magid, a Zen teacher, says, these sort of these uh, secret, almost fantasy like ideas we have of what we want from practice. That we don't really want to admit to ourselves or to other people why we're actually practicing, um, and one of those is because we want to escape our difficulties, and that's fine. But we sh- we should be honest with ourselves, and um, I honestly get a little suspicious of people that are too spiritual, you know, walking around with a sort of half smile on their face and very calm and always speaking very like this, and you know, I just wonder. What's really going on under the surface? How deep does that really go? Um, you know, it, it's not, it, oftentimes, it's not patience or equanimity that you're actually hearing, but it's actually a suppression or repression of the truth of their experience. Um, another near enemy of patience, to use a Buddhist term, near enemy means something that looks like you know, looks like something, but is actually not, is um, just going along with things, not making any kind of effort. And there can be a lot of fear for people that comes up around effort, fears of failure and fears of success. Um, many people um, have been shut down early in life by others when they have made an effort in relationships, for example, making an effort to be honest, and then we get shut down over and over again. And what happens is eventually we stop trying. And we say, you know what? I'm just gonna be calm, cool, and collected. I'm not going to show any of my true thoughts and feelings. And I'm gonna just not make an effort here because I don't wanna be rejected. And so I have found that a lot of what looks like patience is actually a fear of trying of making mistakes of screwing up and so people will often be in practice for a long time and then see i'll see that they're actually nesting in they're making a little comfortable nest of calmness for themselves and um this can be pretty difficult too in our tradition because we work with koans which can be very challenging. You know, coming to a teacher and being challenged, it can stir up all those things. And so I find that uh, we need to address that directly to to see what's really going on here. Are we afraid of making, of being turned away in doksan when we try to work on a koan and we come up empty? You know, do we, do we, make another effort? Do we pull back and say, I just don't want this. I just want to be calm in my meditation. So so some people, and we may ourselves risk becoming uninvolved, sort of flat in our practice and kind of risk adverse. And so this can look from the outside like we're just very patient and calm people. Impatience is an interesting force. Impatience. Um, If we look closely, we might find ourselves in situations where we're not happy. Jobs, relationships, uh, all manner of things where we have found ourselves somehow boxed in. How did I get here? You know, unhappy and um, when we find ourselves in these situations sometimes we can tell ourselves we I just have to endure this I just I just have to get through it and the question becomes is this really patience sometimes it is sometimes we just have to you know grit our teeth and just push through that's it can be a very powerful force but at other times it can be a way of avoiding conflict, of avoiding missing or messing up the status quo. And so this is another area that can be a challenge for us to find when are we being complacent? When, are we, when, is, the, when, is, it, when is change needed? And when is it time to just hold fast and deal with adversity? There's no easy answers for this stuff. It's not like there's a formula to know. Um, And I think each one of us has to find our way between making effort to change and finding patience in what is. So patience really is about learning to stay grounded, steady, um, you see this image of the ox in Zen of just pulling the plow or pulling the cart. And actually, Samantha Bahadra, who um, is the bodhisattva of action, is pictured a, a, always riding an elephant because the elephant just is very careful in where it steps. It's huge, obviously, and so it has to be very careful to make sure it's on sure ground. But it just strides forward one step at a time. And so I think this image of Samantabhadra, Bodhisattva of action, uh, enlightened action, enlightened action is a wonderful image for us. We, We act, we move forward, but we do it with care. Effort without effort. Um, so what is at the root of patience in Zen what's at the root the very core of patience to my mind it's this not knowing this open minded not knowing When we're full of ideas about how something should be done or how somebody should be, we get impatient. But the highest, you could say the highest truth in Buddhism is openness or not knowing. It's not a not knowing of kind of dumbfounded, but kind of spaciousness where we're not always filling in right away, filling in the gaps right away. So we have a a few minutes. We have, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. We can end any time. But those are just some thoughts about patience. Um, What are some of your struggles with it? What are some of the ways you've learned to deal with it or to work with it? Um, If you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. And we can just open it up um, and... And then, if nobody has anything, or after people um, have said what they want to say, we'll we'll recite the four vowels.